This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness, and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Latina mothers and maternal mental health. Our guest, Susanna Marquez, is a licensed marriage and family therapist and founder of Me, Myself, and Mommy Therapeutic Services, which is a private practice out of Long Beach, California. She's going to be sharing some of her personal story today and a little bit about how she made her way through. She's going to give us other perspectives on Latina mothers and maternal mental health. She's also going to be talk with us a little bit about the term Latinx and what that means and how we can be using that term more sensitively in our work with birthing persons of Latin descent. Susanna provides psychotherapy support and resources to Latina mothers and their families, on what maternal mental health is and the importance of mother's mental health and emotional well-being. Her mission is to bridge the gap, Latina mothers, and mental health while bringing awareness to the real issues that mothers face culturally and socially. Let's meet Susanna. Welcome, Susanna. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Kat. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know we've touched base on social media and such an interesting place to get connected with people. I've been following your work and Really love what you're doing. Wanted to have you come on and talk a little bit about that today. So I'm excited to share this with the listeners. Yes, thank you very much. I'm really excited about it too. Yeah, so before we get into the work that you're doing now, maybe we can talk about how you got started doing the work that you're doing in your personal experience. So if you'd like to start anywhere you're comfortable. No, absolutely. Well, the reason I started what I'm currently doing is for my own personal story with postpartum depression and anxiety. After I had my son in 2014, I definitely had a very, just really, really bad time adjusting to motherhood and kind of felt more alone than anything and just Mm -hmm. felt the need to connect with other moms, but it was very hard to find that connection. And 
just, you know, going to the doctor and hearing, well, oh, it's normal, you know, it's just, you know, part of being a mom and I just felt tired be all the time and just a big disconnect with what was expected of me and what I was doing. I just felt like I was failing the entire time. Hmm. And even though the birthing experience was, you know, nothing out of the normal, there were things that didn't go the way I originally had planned or what I wanted and so forth. And the timing was a little earlier than the due date they had given me. And so, you know, it's not like you walk into the, it wasn't like that for me. I walked into the hospital room and everything was just great and so Mm -hmm. forth. There was a few hiccups along the way. And I definitely, my labor plan changed from what I had originally wanted. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't fully aware at the time of all the different ways that I could advocate for myself mm-hmm. while giving birth, like I am aware of now. So right. it's something that I feel that even though you go through these classes, you're, there's way more information out there about how to have a birth plan and a doula and something that I didn't even know existed mm-hmm. until, you know, probably last year. When I met a few of my friends now that are doulas and so forth. So coming home and, you know, my husband having to go back to work probably about four or six weeks after, and it was just me and the baby. And then I just felt like, oh, well, if I go out, you know, something might happen. So that anxiety was immediately uh, palpable for me, the fear of like mm-hmm. something's going to happen when we're out. What am I going to do by myself? My mom was here to take care of me, but what happens is, In our culture, it just seems that you must have it all together at all times when being a mom. There's no absolute way to describe that you don't have it together because if you do, then you seem questionable as a mother to begin with. So it's something that I felt instantly where I'm like, oh God, if I tell my mom that I'm not aware of what I need to do or that I'm struggling with this, she's going to look at me and say, well, you wanted to have a kid. Like Mm -hmm. this, this is just the way it is. You have to suck it up Mm -hmm. in a sense. And so I had grown up hearing that from other women in my family. So it was something that was ingrained with me. And I just kind of felt that I couldn't share. I couldn't share the way I was feeling because I just had to get it together. I had to, you know, put the best face forward and put the, you know, best foot forward and, and go with it. And so there was no way around it. So a lot of times I just didn't want to go out because mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with the hassles of having to pack everything up. And then when I did go out, I felt like I was always rushing because my son was exclusively breastfeeding. So I always felt like it was, you know, that cluster feed of I have to mm-hmm. feed, I have to feed like every so often and I don't have time for myself. I don't have time to shower. I don't have time to do this or the other. And then if I go out then I have to pack all of this other stuff with me mm-hmm. and lug, you know, the pump and this and that, and then the carrier And so it just felt like the best thing for me was to not even do those things. And all of my friends didn't have children. So it was just very difficult to connect with them. People kind Mm -hmm. of fell off the face of the earth. There wasn't much people checking in on me. And so I felt isolated and I felt Mm -hmm. alienated. And I felt kind of like, wow, having a baby is supposed to be the happiest moment of your life. But it definitely doesn't feel that way for me. It definitely Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like people are coming to check in on me it's just like oh how's the baby doing that's great but no one's asking me how I'm doing or it felt that when people did come in it was very invasive because you know they weren't warning me that they were going to stop by it was just they Mm. stopped by and I wasn't in no way shape or form to host I didn't want to have people over so it was this 
tug of war between wanting to have people mm-hmm. support you, but not wanting to have anyone because the instinct of mother kicked in right away that no one knew how to take care of my son better than I did, even though I had no clue what I was doing at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just mm-hmm. like, no, my mom's not going to be able to do it. Even before I raised, I don't know how many siblings. So it was like, still, that doesn't make you an expert. Like you don't know what you're supposed to do with my son because he's my son and only I know what he needs. Right. And same with my mother-in-law. Well, I had four kids, you know, and I've done it before and, and it's not like rocket science. And I still felt like, no, you still don't know what to do because again, you don't know what my son needs. It was really difficult because then when I did find a group of moms that I connected with, it felt very superficial. Mm-hmm. It felt very superficial. It felt very still that my needs weren't being understood. You know, they didn't have the sleepless nights or if they did, they didn't talk about those things. It felt very uh-huh. kind of, you know, I don't know if the word phony fits, but more of like, oh, everything's great. That mm-hmm. may have been their situation. But for me, that wasn't. So I felt very disconnected. And I felt yeah. that if I share something dark or negative here, they're going to look at me and say, she is a complete weirdo. Mm-hmm. We don't want to hang out with her anymore. And so I just shut down. I shut down. And it was very hard because yeah. I spent a lot of nights, you know, crying and feeling incompetent and mm-hmm. I clung to my son like he was like the only person that understood me, even though this, Mm. you know, poor human being of life was like needing me to survive. And I was like the opposite. I felt I needed him in order Mm -hmm. to survive. Mm -hmm. And after he turned a year, I started seeing a bit of light where I was like, okay, you know, it's going to get easier because now he's walking. We can go out and do more stuff and we can go have fun. And then it didn't happen that way because then my dad tragically passed away and I'm an only child. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I remember my son was 14 months when I got the call that, you know, he was in the hospital and it was an emergency situation and ICU. And here I am with the little one waiting to feed him lunch. And I honestly can't tell you how I made it to the hospital from the house, which isn't that far, and how I put him in the car seat without an issue. I don't know. It feels like a blurb from that moment. And I'm like, I'm, you know, thankful that we made it, you know, safely there. But I felt completely, completely, completely zombie-ish like that. I was just going through the motions and not really knowing what was going on or really processing what was happening. And so having to sit in that moment and, you know, my husband shows up later because he was at work and I called him and then you know, I'm there with a 14 month old in the ICU, which, you know, they're like, is there anyone here with you? And I'm like, no, I it's not like, it's not like I can leave him with someone to come sit here. I have right. to have him here. And so I also felt like, oh my God, I'm traumatizing my child. And mm. it was very difficult. So yeah. that made me spiral out of control even more that that sure. definitely put me in a more severe state of depression and anxiety. Yeah. And I did definitely cling to my son even more. And then I was even more afraid to to let go of him and give him to anyone to take care of because I was like, I already, as my dad was in a coma and passed away five days later. Oh, wow. And so in my head, I'm like, if I already lost someone, I'm not going to lose you too. So I did everything I could to cling to him and say like, no, no one's going to take care of him. But me, you guys right. can't take care of him. So I was 
sacrificing every inch in me because I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't right. eating. I lost a tremendous amount of weight at that mm-hmm. time, like really, really bad. And, and people were highlighting how much weight I had lost and they thought it was the most wonderful thing. And what was oh, my secret? Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, every time someone pointed out how thin I was and how great I looked because I had lost so much weight, you know, so rapidly, wow. I always thought to myself, you have no clue how much like crap I truly, truly feel. Right. And I can never say it, but inside I'm like, you have no clue how even more like crap that comment makes me feel. Right. Because it wasn't something I was working towards. It was something that was happening because I was such a mess, such a mess emotionally. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. The whole situation is so difficult. You're already dealing with so much. And then on top of that, you have this really tragic event and loss. And wow, as you were talking about it, I've heard, you know, so much struggle in just this very short period of time. And obviously none of this was expected. Absolutely not. Right. And here you are just having to just hold on as tight as you can to your son as kind of the way, a way to get through. I mean, I hear the amount of anxiety that you must have had. Absolutely. Yes. It was very, very difficult. And, you know, then having to help my mom go through her grieving process Mm -hmm. and realizing that I still needed to be available for my son. And then it's having to put all the services together. So I didn't have enough time to grieve. I didn't have enough time to actually take for myself to process what was going through because I felt like I was just always having to do yeah. something, having to do something to take care of everyone else. So I was definitely the last person I was taking care of. I definitely put myself on the back burner and it made things even more complicated for me because, right, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I wasn't processing the grief. I started noticing 
how much angrier mm-hmm. I was at everybody right. around me, at everyone else that was, you know, trying to support me. I didn't want to deal with anyone. And I just felt that if people could not sense what was going on with me, right. who knew me and cared about me, then it's like, what's the point in telling you? It's like, if you can't figure it out by now, I felt a lot of resentment too. I felt yeah. like, I felt like it, if I can sense that something's wrong with you, then why can't you do the same for me? And none of this was being expressed. It was just something that I thought that those voices in my head and those questions and that inner turmoil of why can't people understand what I'm going through? Why can't people step up and say, I'm going to stop over and bring you a plate of food? Why pretend like, oh, you know, everything should be back to normal just because, you know, time's passed or that. Mm Mm-hmm that comment that I hear a lot when people pass away, like time heals all wounds. And I'm like, how is time supposed to heal this one? That's just another reminder of that person not being here. Right. Like I have to live with knowing that he's not going to be here for the holidays or he's not going to see his only grandson, you know, go to school and just different milestones. Right. And then because it was a tragic accident, it happened close to home. So it was something else that caused even more anxiety oh when gosh, yeah. driving down the street and trying to avoid that specific location and going around it so that I'm not driving on that street oh, or, man. you know, just different things that were triggers that I now was more anxious about because now I'm like, I have to avoid this. I don't want to go down this street. I don't mm-hmm. want to drive to this location and so forth. So yes, the depression and the anxiety just got even more out of control. Yeah, And it wasn't until the summer of 2016 that I realized, you know, I had kind of done a checklist in my head as a clinician, you know, that I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point I was telling myself, this doesn't seem that I should be feeling this way, you know. And I kept asking myself, do other moms feel this way? And I didn't right. have, that's the thing, I didn't have any other moms to connect with. My cousins who so were moms had older kids. I was afraid of telling my mom. And, you know, she was grieving herself. So then I'm like, I don't want to bother her with this. My husband had no clue because my husband always just kept reminding me of how strong I used to be before. And Mm -hmm. I think he just thought that this was going to pass and I should automatically get back to my normal self. Right. But I kept thinking, this doesn't feel normal. This doesn't feel right. And it wasn't until literally two years in summer of 2016 that I was sitting down with a colleague and she said we were having lunch and she said I need you to go see someone and I said what do you mean you need to see someone this is too much for you you seem to be holding it together pretty well but that's not the case and she referred me to the therapist that I'm currently seeing that happened to break the news to me last week that he's leaving next month and so that was bittersweet because when she referred me to him, she called him right away and she said, do you have any openings? And I immediately remember asking her, is he male? I said, oh, he's a man. And then she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh, I don't know. You know, I questioned it immediately. Mm -hmm. I had seen therapists before that. And I had seen a therapist while I was in graduate school and working way before I had my son who I had connected with wonderfully, but then she ended up leaving to out of state. So I couldn't see her you know, during that process. So when she said, I want you to go see him, I'm like, oh, he's a man. She's like, please go. So, you know, a part of me was desperately wanting to see someone too. So I went with it, even though I had my, you know, hesitations about, oh, he's a male and he is Latino, but he is a man. Is he really going to understand my journey, what I'm going through? 
But I have to say, Kat, that that clinician really broke. And I told him this last week when he mentioned that he's leaving, broke every stigma that I could possibly have about what to expect from a Latino male in general and as a clinician even more because he has been the most compassionate and most empathic and supportive male figure that I have had in this process that has left me just wondering, like, will I ever find anyone like that? I truly doubt it because mm-hmm. I came in a complete mess. I mm-hmm. remember we were talking about this last week, how when I came in, I just couldn't stop crying. I sure. couldn't even really get my words out. And yeah. I was with Isaac and I was holding on to him desperately for life as he was trying to do his assessment and I remember that I just bawled like the first uh for the entire two hours that I was there and he reminded me look at where you're at now so I've seen him exactly for two years Mm -hmm. and it was that friend who said like I need you to go see him Mm -hmm. and I remember when I saw her she made an appointment for me for the following week and yeah I went I'm like I'm gonna go yeah and check it out and I did have my moments of hesitation at the beginning where I'm like, he probably has no clue what I'm going through. He probably doesn't even have kids and doesn't know what that process, you know, what that's mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. so forth. But it was completely the opposite of all of that. He was so understanding. And like I said, you know, I'm so grateful that I did go. But that's when I realized, okay, I definitely am not the only one who has felt this way. I'm sure there are other moms who have felt this way. And then yeah. I started thinking, of all the cultural stigmas that we carry as Latina moms where we're thinking, okay, you know, we're compared and held up high like the Virgin Mary, you know, that's like mm-hmm. the biggest example of motherhood for like us. Mothers and are everything. Exactly. Mothers mm-hmm. are everything and they sacrifice everything. And it does, even if it means you don't eat and don't sleep, well, that's what being a mother is. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm sure that, they're looking for a support system too. I'm sure that they're needing these resources. I'm sure that they're probably not even wanting to have one-on-one therapy because they want to hear the mother next to them say the same thing. Or if they are looking for one-on-one therapy, how you know likely will it be that they will find this stuff if let's say they are lacking the financial resources for therapy or there's a language barrier and they can't you know communicate with the clinician. Right. So that's when I started thinking of how can I put my clinical skills and my education to use because I also felt a huge part of my identity was gone. I Uh felt I've gone to school for all these years. I finished my doctorate right when I found out that my son was pregnant. And so I'm like, I'm in my last classes and this is amazing. You know, it worked out fine that, you know, I'm now finding out that I'm pregnant, but I'm also finishing up my doctorate. So I don't have to, you know, worry about that. The only thing I knew that I had to work on was my dissertation. And in my mind, I thought, okay, you know, I'll work on my dissertation as my son sleeps, you know, (laughs) I'll make it happen and all that kind of thing. You know, you go in with this idea of you want things to be, and it ended up being the complete opposite of that. So I felt like a huge sense of me, like a real huge part of my identity was gone. And so I missed work. I missed you know, the connection with other clinicians and networking. I miss client work. I miss going to school and I couldn't get myself to work on my dissertation. And I kept, you know, trying, I kept trying to sit down in front of the computer and write, Right. but it didn't happen. So 
I then, you know, kicked myself in the butt for that, where I was like, I'm not going to get this done. I'm a failure. So I felt like a failure in every aspect. Yeah, there's so much here around just, yes, so so much feelings of failure. I mean, how do you push through that? Exactly. So then I felt maybe if I start something for other moms and I start putting, you know, start working again or putting my skills and even now my personal story to use for other moms, maybe I will start feeling like myself again. Maybe mm-hmm. this will be cathartic for me as well and therapeutic for me too, right. because I also need that. And so in talking to my therapist, spending nights, you know, awake while Isaac slept and just brainstorming and thinking of things that I felt were lacking in the mental health field for moms. And cause I'm like, my God, you know, we didn't hear about this stuff in grad school. How, you know, did we even touch base on postpartum depression and anxiety? All the terminology that I was hearing too was also something so new to me. And I thought there's got to be more to this. There has to be more. So that's when I started researching, you know, and just Googling. And that's how I came about maternal mental health now. And I remember when I found their website and their agency I actually smiled and was like, aha, there is something. <laughs> yeah. Let me connect with them. And then I started brainstorming. I'm like, what do I want to provide? What do I want to do for mothers? Good for you. How can I help? And yeah. so, you know, it took a while and it took some definitely, you know, my therapist was very supportive. And then I talked to my husband about it and he's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be able to provide? And I said, that's where, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's missing. And then I realized a lot is missing. A lot is There's missing. There's really That's not right. a lot of literature in Spanish to begin with. There's mm-hmm. really not of, you know, then I started researching what's out here in my area. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what do we have out here? Do we have services for moms out here in Spanish? Do we have support groups? Do we have activities for them? Do we have, you know, resources, agencies that provide these services? And then I started cold calling agencies like I started getting more active and I started calling organizations I, I started calling nonprofits. I started calling hospitals and a lot of times people hung up on me didn't return my calls I left oh. many messages I emailed people and I didn't get responses back and I realized you know that did sadden me and that did you know make me kind of sit back on my ID and think well maybe I'm trying to do something that no one's going to want to be a part of, or maybe I'm trying to put something together that I think is needed, but someone else is going to say, no, you know, that's, that's, so that's not an issue. You it's know, so, so hard so, when you have that. It sounds yeah. like your passion is really at that point, really building. And man, you work so hard to make those connections. It's really hard to be kind of shut down or not attended to when you have exactly. that, that drive. So then it also reinforced those feelings of isolation and, feeling neglected and abandoned myself that I, you know, was thankful. I still had my therapist and I was processing all of that. But I remember sitting in his office and saying, you know, maybe I'm trying to clearly tell him, maybe I'm dreaming too much. Maybe this is too big Mm -hmm. of a dream and it's not something that I should even pursue. And I remember him saying like, why, why not? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the best thing that can happen? And so in processing all of that, you know, I'd get a sense of a urgency again and then I would do more cold calling or I'd call them again and say okay maybe they didn't get my message or maybe they you know have been busy and 
So calling again and sending more emails and saying, look, this is, this is what I'm proposing. Because I also didn't have anything concretely laid out when I was calling people. It was still, to me, very early and there was still yeah. an idea. And it was still something that I wanted to kind of flush out and really zone down and say, this is what I wanted to say. This is what I wanted to stand for. This is what I want to provide. And then I also didn't have a location. So then I also thought to myself, where am I going to do these groups? Where am I going to provide this therapy? I don't even have an office yet because I've just had a baby myself and I've, you know, been dealing with my own personal struggle. So, so then I reached out to a mentor of mine who was a professor in my master's program and someone that I've kept in touch with still. And she's been a great, great support system. And she said, what about, you know, we started brainstorming. She's like, what about parks? What about different rec rooms at parks that you can, you know, propose a class schedule and say, this is what I want to do. And so I started doing that. I started reaching out to parks in the area and writing proposals and saying, this is what I would like to teach. This is what, you know, I want to offer. Can That's we, great. you know, put it in the summer schedule or the fall schedule? And then again, I would get the, no, we're not looking for something like that at the moment, or we're too full with our class schedule. Please try again later. Yeah. And so again, you know, the door being closed and I'm like, okay, so then I found a group here at one of our hospitals that was a bilingual group. So she spoke Spanish, but like she said, I'm not, you know, a Latina. I learned Spanish. And so we do some Spanish speaking, but it's not fully in Spanish. And so she said a lot of our moms have to wait for the information to be translated. And she said, and you know how that can also be difficult because the message gets lost in translation and it's not the same. And so when I connected with her, she's like, how can I help you? And it felt amazing because that's the first time I had actually heard someone say, how can I help you? I'm really excited about what you're proposing to me. It's definitely something that's needed. How can we work together? I'm Dr. Elliot Berlin, host of the Informed Pregnancy Podcast, where each week we interview experts, celebrities, new and expecting parents, and search for unbiased information on the most pressing topics for growing families. Check out our expansive and growing library on the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're on the Pod Network and all major podcast apps, or visit us online at informedpregnancy.com. If I can just highlight for a moment, I mean, at this point, you've already been through so much. Your passion is ignited. And, you know, just for the people who are listening, like there are so many things that I think everyone can relate to just in the arc of your story, all of the things that you went through as a mom, as a Latina mother, but also for those of us who have been through some kind of perinatal mental health issue and then developed this passion to work. I mean, I love just that you're describing the steps that it took to get to where you are now because it doesn't just happen. We literally have to bang on doors. And I've personally been turned down for free stuff. I'm trying to offer you free stuff and you don't want me to do it. Oh my God, Kat. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened to me. Absolutely. I said the same thing. I'm offering you something for free right? and you're still turning me down. And I'm like, wow, I'm not going to make a living even if I wanted to because that 
<laughs> you know, at some point you're thinking this is yeah. going to be something that I want to grow and I want to expand. And like I said, I would tell my therapist, I'm dreaming way too big. Like this is just, this isn't going to happen. But if I, people are shutting me down for yeah. free. I know. But the thing is, is what I found in the specialty, maybe this is what you've seen too, is that once people understand what you do and how important it is, then they're like, oh yeah, we need to be doing this. But for the most part, people think, oh, well, like there's not a lot of people who deal with this or people aren't Absolutely. interested or they make these assumptions about the services that we're trying to provide or about the moms that are trying to seek that, that may be seeking the services without actually understanding the real problem. So it's almost like you have Absolutely. to like explain it, ABC, this is what happens. This is why we're doing this and get people to really understand the depth of importance for this work, and then they're on board. But it takes so much work to do that. It's like Absolutely. you have to convince people almost that moms need this mm -hmm. kind of help. It's so yeah, frustrating. It's like you're selling something. It's like you're selling a product. I felt like I was a salesperson at some <laughs> right. point. I'm like, if right. I were to have to be selling a product right now, I'd be a complete failure because I'm not <laughs> right. getting anyone to buy anything. Yeah. I felt like that's when I realized I have to include education in what mm -hmm. I want to do because mm -hmm. I also felt that even bringing this conversation to the moms was a difficult subject because a yeah. lot of moms felt that, okay, I am going through this, but isn't that just part of being a mom? Exactly. Isn't that just normal? Yes. Or, you know, my husband yeah, yeah. looks at me and says, I should be doing all of this because that's what his mom used to do. And then right. my mother-in-law saying the same thing. My mom's telling me the same thing. My aunts, my grandmothers, that's just what everyone did. So this is part of being a mom. So I shouldn't feel that like self-sacrificing you know, like part. I, too. Yeah, exactly. Like this is an issue. And there was like, okay, that's when I started realizing the components that I wanted to include as far as education, raising awareness, yeah, yeah. how do I help break these stigmas? Yeah. And like you said earlier, this is when you realize with now new terminology, when we talk about Latinx, where I realized, okay, there's a lot of, you know, moms out there too, millennial moms, you know, that we now have a new word where some are not identifying as Latina. Now, you know, like you said, there's transgendered moms. And so now it's like, okay, how do I also incorporate that? Because I don't want someone to not feel that they're being heard or that they're being validated or that their story matters because of a term that they don't identify with. Right. So to me, all of that is also a learning process because I didn't find out about that term itself till this year. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was starting all of this, you know, what are we in 2017 when I was starting this like back in 2016 and brainstorming I wasn't even on social media yet I had had right. such a horrible experience with social media when I was in grad school that I completely disconnected from the, right. the entire process and I'm like I don't see myself on social media again never realizing all the amazing connections and everything that I would learn right, from right. it now. But, yeah, yeah. you know, when I had my son, I wasn't on social media. I had no one to connect with as far as moms. All of it has also been in a major learning process for myself. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, just like I you are describing, going from yeah. saying Latina mothers to including Latinx, meaning anyone who identifies that's a gender neutral term. Exactly. And for anyone who's identifying as a mother, I mean, that th that is a shift and it's a shift we're all, you know, understanding and, and needing to make too. It's a exactly. big education. And then, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then learning about how important mental health for a mom is, how crucial it is to take care of it, what a priority is. So as mm -hmm. I'm trying to make these steps 
towards starting something in my community, I'm also learning mm-hmm. what it is that I need to include. How can right. I educate these people I'm presenting this information to so that they say to me, oh, yes, you know what? We do right. need to have this. Yeah. We do need to work on this. So it takes time. Absolutely. You hit it on the nail. It's something that does not happen overnight. I remember when I met with one of the hospitals here who now I have a support group with. There you go. It took about a year. It took about a year for things to even pick up. I had groups happening in all these different locations that Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, had their own timelines of, oh, we can only do a group here for four weeks because then that place shut down and they were relocating. And then we can only do a group here for, you know, two months because then they were also relocating. So then it was a lot of inconsistency with things. I was Mm -hmm. doing things, but yet still feeling like a failure, like I was getting the word out, but still felt like this isn't enough. This isn't enough. You know what? If I can say, I mean, that feeling like this isn't enough, I think comes directly from passion and compassion for the moms, because you know how important this is. And not everybody else knows how important it is. But I think that's almost like a parallel process that we have Mm -hmm. as providers helping moms who also don't feel like they're doing enough. Like, you know, there are times with me for this podcast and for the stuff that I do where I'm like, this is not enough because not everybody knows about this yet. I just think it's part of the passion that you have for getting the word out because you know how important it is. And it sounds like you're just waiting for everybody else to figure it out too. But then you have to literally teach them like, you know, scream out at them like, hey, we have to do something about this. I think that's your passion talking. And you know what, absolutely, when you reframe your thoughts and you say, you know, because we're so used to just focusing on the negative, you know, we're so used to always kind of being in problem mode and thinking this isn't going to work out and, oh, I'm a complete failure. I mean, I had been feeling incompetent as a mother, you know, two years already. Mm. I had completely lost my identity. I felt useless as a woman. I thought, oh my Mm. God, I went through all this education and I'm not doing absolutely anything with it. I'm not able to sit down and work on my dissertation. Mm -hmm. You know, lost my dad. I felt disconnected with my husband because it was a huge strain on our marriage as well. It was absolutely a very difficult time for us where most of the time I felt like, okay, you know what? Yes, we're going to get a divorce. Like it's just going to happen. Like this isn't, Mm. you know, I'm done. Like I have no more fight in me. And then Mm. I was always angry. I was angry, Mm -hmm. you know, just thinking back the person who took my dad's life away. Why did that have to happen? And all this other stuff that I had to go through with trials and court cases with that, that just felt like the world was like, okay, I must have done something so horribly wrong because everything is just happening to me all at once and there's no point in continuing. Oh so, my gosh, that's so it's I all so devastating. To, it is because I did get to a point where I felt like it was just best to end my life and I thought about I'm those so things at, at, at times while I was holding my son and putting him to sleep and nursing him but yet it was this conflict that I had where it's like I don't want to, you know, feel this way anymore. Right. I want to end my life. I, how mm. would I go about doing that? But then thinking when I would look at him and he was like that thread that I was hanging on and thinking, no, but he needs me and I don't mm-hmm. want to stop seeing this little face. And, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes and so that's how it is. It's the, just the baby yeah. that gets, oh, yeah. 
That's it's and so I was hard. Nursing him and mm-hmm. rocking him and completely bawling yeah. and bawling and bawling. And my husband, I remember, would come in and say, "What is wrong?" And I had no words to explain what was wrong. Right? Because I how are you supposed to explain silent. it? Yeah, yeah. There's right. because we don't know. Out. Right. Yeah. I mean that. That's so, so much. Just so many traumatizing things. Yeah, and sometimes he says he would catch me just like staring into space and still holding on to Isaac mm-hmm. that I would not have, you know, trans- he, Isaac was completely asleep and I had not transferred him into his bassinet or his crib because I would just zone out. I would just hold mm-hmm. him there so and sorry. keep rocking it. You know, and it's, I'm sure it must have freaked him out, you know, to think like, what is going on? But I think that he just didn't know. And that's sure. another thing that I thought while I was going through this process, I'm like, if men don't know what's going on, how do they provide that support? You know, right. or how do other people around that mother provide that support if they don't know what's going on, if they don't know what to call it, if they don't know, you know, that there right. is something wrong or they think, well, she seems fine. She got out of bed. She fed the baby. She changed right. them. Some of those things are just the norm. You're, you're thinking, well, that's right. fine. You know, she got out of bed and she changed them. She fed them. So she must be good. Yeah. I'm curious because there's a lot of different stuff woven in here in terms of, well, some of that stuff that, you know, all couples and all moms experience who are having a hard time, but you've also raised a couple of issues around cultural understanding of what this period of time is like. And I wonder, you know, from the work that you do and from your own personal experience, what are some of the culture specific things that make this period of time harder for moms, for Latinx moms? One of them is just the expectations placed on us that we are supposed to handle everything, regardless of the fact that you just had a baby. You're Mm -hmm. still supposed to get up and take care of your partner or your spouse. You're still supposed to, you know, entertain your family members. You're still, still supposed to get up and cook a meal. And there's this thing that as I look back now, I'm thinking these expectations were killing me. I felt guilty Mm -hmm. that I wasn't Mm -hmm. doing any of this. I felt guilty that you know, I wasn't taking care of my husband because that's what was expected of me. You know, I had moments where I thought my husband's going to divorce me because he's going to find someone else that's providing the care that I'm not providing because that's what's expected of me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I have a new client where a mom where she's saying like, it's 11 o'clock at night, my husband gets home and he still goes and wakes me up to mm-hmm. warm up the food and serve him dinner. Mm-hmm. even though it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm sleeping and I've been dealing with, you know, the baby who's three months mm-hmm. all day, but that's because that's what's expected of her. You know, she identifies as a Latina mom and she says, that's expected of me. So I have to get up and warm up his food and serve him his dinner. And I think unbelievable the amount of pressure that is placed on us. Mm-hmm. because this is what's been done for so many years. You know, like I said, this is what our mothers did, our grandmothers did. And even right. though they may have had moments, because I remember my mom had moments where I would find her upset or I'd hear her cry, but it was mm-hmm. not something she would share. It's not something right. that, you know, was discussed. And I always question what could have been the issue. And I'm thinking back, maybe she just had had it. You know, she had her breaking point. We're all human. So the fact that so much pressure is put on us culturally, I think also religiously, when I mentioned, you know, the Virgin Mary, if Mm -hmm. you're raised Catholic, you're held up to the standard of, I remember reading a term that caught my attention immediately. That's called Marianismo. 
And it's that term that describes how we put so much amount of pressure on mothers because we're holding them up to the standard of the Virgin Mary. You know, here's the Virgin Mary who's seen it, you know, it's placed on such a high pedestal and it's given so much glorification. And here we are as human beings, as mothers, striving to be the best mom. And we're in a sense, kind of put onto that standard like well this is what the virgin mary sacrificed and we're in our religion catholicism we glorify her so then then we must sacrifice our own being as a woman and as a mother so that everyone else in the house is happy and taken care of that means kids extended Mm -hmm. family husbands Mm -hmm. partners and you're put on the back burner you know we're not taught you know culturally to speak up you know we're not taught to be assertive we're not taught to talk about our feelings or emotions. So that submissive role that has been passed along for generations through our mothers and grandmothers and so forth is something that is still, I believe, expected from us. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, as much education as we have. Like I know, you know, I'm like, I'm a first college, you know, in my family that attended college and I'm an only child. And my dad was very very encouraging when it came to pushing me towards education and being someone and dreaming big. But I know that we still have these specific gender roles Mm -hmm. where, you know, the women cook and clean and take care of the spouse Mm -hmm. and take care of everything else. And the husband just goes out to work, comes home and you must have, you know, the plate of food on the table and Mm -hmm. allow him the time to check, you know, to zone out and let him watch his TV because he's been working all day. So the respect isn't given to what the mother does. You know, it's a lot of, well, if you stay home with your child, you must be sitting there watching TV all day and having, you know, kind of like that Peggy Bundy mm. assumption <laughs> where she's sitting in front right. of TV having right, right. bonbons and mm-hmm. you're having a great time. And that's, I mean, I've been a stay at home mom for quite some time and I'm thinking you do more work at home than you do outside of the house. Mm-hmm. Like being a stay at home mom. And then for those who go out and work and have more than one child and are taking care of you know, family members, because that's, that's you know, that ends up happy. It's a lot. And mm-hmm. for that work to be diminished and not giving the value and not being appreciated because you're not coming home with specifically a paycheck like your spouses, that's a yeah. lot of pressure. That's yeah. I mean, that's sort of a difficult in the sense that like you're on one hand, very highly regarded and highly valued. And the expectation Absolutely. is that you do a lot, but then it's also and I'm using my own terms here. I uh, hope this doesn't come across as, uh, I don't know, disrespectful, but almost like taken for granted. No, that is a perfect term because that's exactly how in our culture, a women's work, a mother's work is absolutely taken for granted. You're not appreciated. It's expected of you. Like I always say, you know, as a mom in general, I think you'd realize that, you know, we don't have sick days. If you're sick, you still have to get up and push through it. You know, those, those are things that, you know, now that I joke with other moms, like we don't have sick days. We don't have leisure day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no such thing as you're going to call in and say, I'm not coming in. You know, if you're a mom and you're <laughs> right. sick, you still have to get up and take care of your children. Yeah. But Latino, Latina, Latinx culture, it's expected. It's absolutely expected. I remember so, seeing it with my mother. Yeah. I remember seeing it with other people in our, you know, other women in our neighborhood. I remember seeing it with other family members. And I remember feeling that immense amount of pressure mm-hmm. when I had a child and I wasn't ready to host people. I remember also hearing the grunt of oh. comments and mm-hmm. negativity from mm-hmm. people because according to them, 
I was steering away from my cultural values. I was Mm. doing things differently. Okay, right. So yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Just, you know, you're in the US. So there's this other acculturation piece where, I mean, it sounds like people were saying like, you weren't doing your job. And it's because, you know, you're doing things different kind of because you're here. That's sort of pressure. I mean, that's what makes it difficult is that too, is that you are here and the culture here is different, you know, with some basic stuff and you don't have the additional support of like, can I ask where, where your family's from? Well, both my parents are Central American. My dad from Guatemala and my mom from El Salvador and my husband's family is Central American as well. We were both born here. And so that's another, you hit a yeah. good point because one thing that I also realized that in our culture, we don't teach a lot of is kind of setting healthy boundaries and limits. There's a lot of expectation that if something is going on, I come from a small family as an only child. So I really don't know the stories with bigger families, but I have seen them. And I understand that there's a sense of you all kind of come together and help one another out. But I also felt that there was an invasion of privacy with that. Mm-hmm. That there is the sense of everyone needs to know what's going on and being in your business and putting in their two cents. And that's something that I had an issue with from the get go. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I had my son, I said, the only people that I want in the room is my mother and my husband. I'm like, my dad can wait outside. Everyone else can wait outside. And I remember a really good friend of mine saying that her family when she was going to have her boys, she's like, Susie, they thought that this was like some kind of circus and I was going to put on a show and that Mm -hmm. I was going to have everyone in there. And she set some limits. She's a clinician herself. So she's Mm -hmm. like, I set limits right away and said, these are the only people. So I suggest you stick to what you've decided. Well, I remember my mother-in-law had a fit and she just thought that it was so inappropriate that I was leaving her out. Mm -hmm. And my issue was, A, you're right. This isn't a circus show. I'm not out, Mm -hmm. you know, putting on a show for people to be entertained I'm having my child and I only want these two specific people in there plus I felt a she had eight grandkids before she has her own daughter that she experienced this with so you've been there you've done that and that's great this is my mom's one and only time she needs to have her own space and that was something that I created from the beginning like that space I wanted to be respected Mm -hmm. I want these boundaries to be respected. But that was something that people kept reminding me of how against my culture I was doing. I was Mm -hmm. going for doing that. Right. So I wonder, like, I'm thinking in terms of how many things may have felt unintentionally shaming or Mm -hmm. made you feel like you should be fine and not reach out for help. I mean, there are so many factors in it. I'm also assuming there are some really beautiful parts of the culture that are actually, you know, very supportive. And then also here you are dealing with depression and anxiety, and there's very close to no resources for you or none that you can find or that you even know that you can ask for. And just thinking then of, you know, the moms that you're helping now too, like how... I'm going to just assume for a moment that they are and generalize for a moment and that they are sort of in a similar kind of predicament where they don't, again, I'm highly generalizing, but where they don't even know that like what's going on for them is something that they can look for help for and that it's okay to do that. How are you reaching out to moms and letting them know that it's okay to come and get services and how are you helping them? 
So luckily I was able to start the group in the hospital. And so they have their OB clinic and I've done, you know, meetings with them and letting them know that this is available for not just the women who are in the hospital, but for anyone in the, in the community. I am working really hard on doing more community outreach because I have tried calling a few organizations that still don't understand the importance of it. So I've gotten a few closed doors with that. But it's a lot of putting myself out there and just going to these places that, for example, when I find that there's other events going on in the community that have to do with healthcare, or, you know, I've gotten involved with other organizations and with other colleagues that do work specifically for mothers, like the WIC program or Great. programs such as they have baby showers out in the community where they're, they're working with like Molina Healthcare and they're providing, mm-hmm. you know, raffle items and so mm-hmm. forth for pregnant moms. So just definitely attending those and bringing my pamphlets and bringing my flyers and letting (laughs) know this is who I am. This is what I provide. This is what's available. And just striking these conversations in the group. It's been nice that, you know, you have a flow of different moms coming in, some hearing from other moms or some hearing from the clinics themselves in the hospital, social media, social media has really helped to Mm -hmm. kind of strike, you know, start the conversation going people DMing me with questions and saying like, Hey, this, you know, this is something that I thought about, you know, you know, how can I get information about this? And social media, like I said, has now been such a positive thing for me because I've also connected with, you know, I connected with you and then I have found other resources out here in our area in Long Beach, yeah. like Long Beach Breastfeed. And so I immediately reached out to the founder of that organization and said, Hey, you know, we're working specifically with moms. Let's sit down, let's get together, let's grab coffee, let's talk. You know, we need to have this conversation. Yeah. And so really it's been a lot of reaching out to people and saying, this is who I am. This Mm -hmm. is what I do. This is what I'm here for. And so thankfully now I've gotten a bit more response from organizations and people who are interested in hearing more and saying, wow, you know, we really didn't even think about including that in, let's Mm -hmm. say, our, you know, baby program, you know, the programs from the hospitals where they go check in on moms, you know, to make sure that everything's okay. They really don't have the tools to assess if there's, you know, depression or anxiety or the different types of questions or where do I send them if there is, you know, like the screening tools, like where do I send them if they actually do meet that criteria? So you're, you're like both reaching out and kind of a resource too. Yes, absolutely. So reaching out saying, this is who I am. Let's talk like, because I really think that education is such a preventative measure as well, Mm -hmm. because I feel that the more education you have on these issues on anything in general, there's ways of at some point, maybe even able to prevent this in another mom because you can prepare differently. And I always tell the moms that I work with, we go in thinking we have to prepare the nursery. We have to prepare, you know, our birthing plan. We have to prepare, you know, financially for a child because it's going to cost us. But we don't think about how do we prepare our mental and our emotional health? How do I get myself you know, to a place where I have that support system if I need it. Or let's say you are struggling with depression and anxiety while you're pregnant, which is something that I had not realized that I was actually going through. Right, right. I didn't know that my depression and my anxiety had actually started while I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just the pressure of working full time and finishing up my doctorate program that I was under so much stress. That's how I disguised it. Right, right. And I thought, this is what it is. And the fact that I'm a first time mom and I'm just, you know, 
or not afraid, just anxious about being a mom in general. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize it it was until later down the road that I'm like, aha, that's exactly what that was. And so now I've also branched out to working with moms who are currently pregnant, because like I said, I've met doulas. And Mm -hmm. again, I didn't know they existed. And then so now I'm working with some doulas and saying, let's start something where we're providing this information at pregnancy and not waiting till after. Because at least it's like, okay, I'm pregnant. How can I create a postpartum plan? You know, we don't really have to put a lot of money into a baby shower. Why don't we look into something where I assign, you know, you delegate some responsibilities to your friends and you say, hey, for the first week, you're coming to help me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and for the first week, would it be nice if, you know, you stop by and help me so that I can have that opportunity for a nap or a shower. Well, I I just love that. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. You know, using the community, using the resources that already exist just in a different way, and helping people think differently about how they can use the supports that are sort of closest to them. I mean, this is really necessary on the ground, you know, and potentially maybe out of the box thinking to get the support to people. And I can hear the passion in your voice. I just love it. There's so much that you're doing to connect people in your community together. Maybe even people who wouldn't typically think of working together. You're just like, Hey, let's do this. And I love it. And for the therapists who are listening or the moms who have had their own personal experience and they want to start something. I mean, this is what it sounds like. Your process, your story, this is what it is. It takes a little bit of time. It's hard to imagine that once you know how difficult it is, it's hard to imagine that other people won't just like 
get it and love what you're doing and want to support you to do that. I want to see it grow, but it's this, you know, day in and day out kind of pounding the pavement, questioning yourself a little bit. Is this going to work? Is this worth it? All of that. I just so appreciate and thank you for that. Oh yeah, me too. I still still go through those days. I honestly, last night was having a conversation with my husband about it where I'm like, should I do something different? Is this working? Did I give it the right name? Mm -hmm. Did I do this properly? Mm -hmm. Am I missing something? Should I go ahead and just change it all up? And he's like, why fix what isn't broken? It's going to take some time. And he's like, let's look back. When did you start this? What have you gained so far? Mm-hmm. What do you want it to look like? And then I'm thinking, you're right. It hasn't been easy. I'm still getting people to close the doors on me. I'm still mm-hmm. getting emails not responded mm-hmm. and phone calls. And I'm like, but I'm in a better place myself where now yeah. my drive feels a lot stronger. I feel Great. like I can dedicate more time to actually pushing yeah. through, you know, hurdles that, that are placed in our way so that I can make this something bigger. Because mm-hmm. I do look at this and I say, hey, you know, when I went to the hospital, I'm like, I want this to be bigger. Like, I want to be able to create this to where it's being used at other hospitals in the area mm-hmm. where there's mm-hmm. some kind of funding happening. Like, help me. Like, I was right. like, who do I talk to to get I this know, funding? What it. do I need to propose? Like, what kind yeah. of grants are out there? And, and yes, you do get some people where you're like, well, you, you know, you kind of, kind of give you the runaround mm-hmm. and, and but, you, oh, well, budget cuts and this and that. And you're sure. like, oh, you but, know, and I understand that. But we need... Because I come from and, a community mental health background. Right. I'm so, so excited about still being able to do some community work because yeah. I feel that it's so beneficial. Yeah. I think all the Latina, Latinx parents really need this and need you and need your drive and need your passion. I'm really hoping that, you know, other people who are thinking of starting things in their communities to help their moms, specifically Latina moms or whatever kind of group that you feel like needs a really specific and compassionate extra look at maternal mental health, that it's not just one size fits all. There are some real cultural dynamics that play a part into this. And people who aren't of that culture can try, but it really takes people who within their own culture to see the need and to make this change. Very true. I mean, you're doing such a beautiful job of it. I know it's frustrating, but you just keep it up keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You know, and I'm glad, you know, to hear that the validation coming from your end, because I've been following you since I, you know, got on social media and I've read your story and, you know, I've checked your website millions of times, always (laughs) thinking like, I know I can learn from her. And I, you know, something that I always wanted to, you know, I was so looking forward to meeting you in July. And it's something that I still would love to sit down and talk to you. Because I remember when I originally reached out to you, I'm like, I just want to pick your brain. Like, I just want (laughs) to learn and see what the process has been like. So to hear you say, you know, that you still have those days of frustration or where it wasn't easy for you to, and you know, that you've dealt with those doors being closed. It's so validating for me because it reminds me of why I'm doing this and what I want to accomplish with it. And it tells me like, it's okay. You know, you're going to have those days, but get back up and push Mm -hmm. through and continue Mm -hmm. pushing through. So I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm glad. I mean, I think that the realness is important for all of us who are doing this work. There are things that I have tried that have failed or that didn't work out. Absolutely. I still get the door closed on me 
often enough. But yeah, that's part of this. Not everyone is going to understand the need for maternal mental health support or specifically for Latina moms or whatever. But that doesn't mean you're wrong. It means they don't get it. That's true. No, that's very true. And I thank you so much because like I said, I've always looked at this when I started. I'm like, how can I do something groundbreaking in the sense of opening up a space and opening up that conversation for us like Mm -hmm. let's also include us Latina moms because like you said culturally someone else may have thought of something that could help us but if you're not from that culture you're not going to have the same understanding Mm -hmm. as someone who is from that culture that can definitely see what is missing what are the components that need to be you know put in place to create a space for moms to come in and say, oh, okay, now I get it. And that's one of the things when I started creating the group specifically in Spanish, because I said, I don't want to do something bilingual. I want that if a mom needs to hear it in Spanish and that's yeah. all she speaks, that's exactly what she's going to get. That's and I've right. done, and I have the English groups as well. So when I got moms coming into the Spanish group specifically for that, I remember them saying, you have no idea how much I've wanted this because the bilingual yeah. group, yet there was a connection and it helped at some point, but I still felt like I walked out of there not knowing what half of the things that were being said or mm-hmm. feeling confused and lost. Yeah. And you don't need that when you're dealing with depression and anxiety. Absolutely not. <laughs> just so like... when you said, yeah. When you said realness, I would tell them, look, you could cry and you could curse. And you, mm-hmm. if this is what you need to do to get your point across and the connections that were formed, right. it was absolutely wonderful to see how much this was needed in the community. So I'm so proud of mm-hmm. being able to provide that. Yes. But I'm also so happy to see in my mind how else you know, can I keep pushing this forward? Like how much bigger can I make so that it reaches not just this community, mm-hmm. but other communities, whether in LA County or mm-hmm. Orange County mm-hmm. that are needing this services because they're not out there. Right. Well, I'm hopeful that even if you're not at the, you know, starting each of those groups individually, that whoever's listening is inspired to do similar work. There just absolutely needs to be, I mean, ideally a postpartum perinatal support group in every language possible that is centered within the cultural understandings of those moms. And again, like you can't necessarily meet everybody's cultural needs all the time, even within the same culture, but man, can you miss a lot when you don't really understand it? Very true. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story and your process and all of the things you see for Latina moms. I would love for us to wrap up on, you know, what you want Latinx moms to know and or providers who are supporting Latina mothers. What would you like us to know? Well, as far as for Latinx moms, what I would like them to know is that they're not alone that the expectations that are placed on us by our culture and our families are too much for us to handle. And we need to start learning how to break those expectations and just doing what works for us, for our immediate family. We Mm. should not feel guilty about that whatsoever, because I think that when we start focusing on what everyone else needs and forget about ourselves, this is just going to perpetuate that cycle. Mm -hmm. So I always tell the moms that I work with is if you do not take care of yourself, always ask yourself, who will? If you don't take care of yourself, who will? And we need to start putting ourselves first so that Mm -hmm. everyone else is taken care of. So 
biggest takeaway for Latinx moms is don't be afraid of asking for help. Do not be afraid of reaching out to a professional because family says that you shouldn't or that it's such a big stigma to, you know, ask for help that, you know, we keep everything within our four walls and within just our immediate family. No, there's no need for that. You do not want to carry that pressure and that weight by yourself. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely someone out there willing and available and trained or another mom friend who can be there to support you. So biggest takeaway is ask for help. Do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. It will only be something very beneficial for you in the long run. Awesome. And for providers who are working with YMX mothers, I think that one of the biggest takeaways is asking more about how the culture can be playing how cultural traditions and even lack of support because we tend to you know think that you know everyone who is having a child has a great support system their parents must you know be available or their spouses and we forget to realize a lot of moms are single there's a lot of single moms there's a lot of moms who have migrated here and have absolutely nobody And we don't take those things into consideration when we're assessing and when we're questioning or doing screenings that a lot of these other factors are going to play a huge role when it comes to what that mother, you know, may be struggling with at that moment. Mm -hmm. We forget that they can also have, you know, a partner who's incarcerated or have, you know, no resources because of a language barrier or lack of finances. So we have to go individually. You know, I think every provider who does a screening for a Latinx mom has to treat it case by case. There's no generalizations. There's no assumptions because I've come to realize that even being in the same culture, I can't assume or generalize. Right. Everyone has a different story. Everyone mm-hmm. has a different support system. Everyone has so many different resources and yet at the same time so many lack of resources Mm -hmm. you know for someone it could be language for someone it could be financial for someone it could be being a single mom and not having anyone here of a family member so I think we need to treat things on a case-by-case and be more understanding of all the other factors that can play a role in that mother having a hard time adjusting to motherhood right well thank you for that that's really really great Yeah, very important points. And I really hope that, you know, anybody who's listening, just sharing your story, thank you so much. And your process to getting to where you are now and helping moms is great. And if anyone out there feels inspired to start a language-based support group within your community, man, is it needed. So I thank you so much for being on with us and taking the time out of your day to share your experience and your professional work. Thank you. You know what? Thank you for having me. This is just, you just fulfilled like one of my biggest dreams in this process. What? And I was so excited for this conversation with you today. And I couldn't stop sharing with my husband, like <laughs> who you were and what Aww. you do and what you mean to maternal mental health in Aww. general. And, and I'm like, I didn't get to meet her at the conference, but I know that we're going to make it happen. And I'm like, and now she's yeah. asked me, you know, to be on her podcast. I'm like, you have no idea. This is the thing <laughs> where I'm like, so I've had the doors closed and I've had rejection and I'm sure it's going to continue to happen, but this just made it so much more better for me and just Aww. validated what I'm doing and highlighted That's all awesome. the good stuff that has, you know, that has happened. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity, Kat. I'm so Aww. excited to hear the final process. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's just beautiful. I'm so happy. So, so happy to know that you're out there doing the work and that we could touch base and connect and share this with everyone. 
If you'd like to be connected with Susanna, please find her at her website, me, myself, and mommy.com. You can also find her on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at me, myself, and mommy. As usual, if you are new to the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so you can get each of our weekly episodes downloaded straight to your phone or computer. And also look through our huge back catalog of episodes of over 100 to find episodes that resonate for you. Connect with us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or join us at the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group where we are growing our community to take these conversations just a touch deeper. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.